We're going under the hood with Dr. Sunshine, where we explore topics that are relevant to STEM professionals with intersecting identities. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome back to episode seven of Under the Hood. In this particular episode today, I want to talk about the hidden research taxes that we as black or other underrepresented scholars may experience specifically in academia. So I'm speaking from the perspective of a person who earned my PhD, did a postdoc and is now an assistant professor. For one, um, I'm doing this podcast because I actually recall now being heavily taxed along my research career in ways that I really didn't fully acknowledge or understand until recently in my career. And I will venture to guess that other black and underrepresented scholars are experiencing the same thing. So also most of the BIPOC scholars that I know have been well warned about taking on extra service, okay? So we we know full well to avoid extra service that is often um, touted as a service tax that goes along with being an underrepresented minority, particularly in STEM. And these service taxes are probably more easy to identify than a research tax. And so for example, just as a refresher, a service tax might include being asked to serve on any and every diversity, equity, and inclusion committee that comes up in your university or being asked to be part of public marketing campaigns for a predominantly white institution where your image is uh, promoted as the face of diversity for um, an institution that may not be as diverse as others. So another example of a service tax is when you are one of very few or the only underrepresented minority in your field and you're asked to serve on a lot of service panels related to your field and you're being tapped to do uh, service panels because simply you're the only person that can add a diverse uh, viewpoint um, within your space. So while doing these activities can actually be very fulfilling, it could add balance to your professional life, and it's actually pretty helpful for building your professional resume. Unfortunately, underrepresented minorities Um, We tend to spend sometimes a greater percentage of our time doing those service activities compared to our our peers from the majority groups in STEM. And so we are encouraged to avoid additional service. Personally, I've actually found that some service activities that I've chosen to take on are beneficial. They're actually pretty beneficial for my professional growth and have also led to the expansion of my research program. And just as one example of that, in my third year as a professor at UC Riverside, I served on the college's executive committee, so the BCOE executive committee. And so this committee was responsible for approving 
new curricula, new courses, giving feedback to the Academic Senate about various campus policies, such as policing on campus, or how we evaluate promotion and tenure as it relates to um, bad behavior and, and what we should uh, address and how we should address people that are habitual offenders of Title IX and how you go about handling their promotion in their tenure cases. And so this service activity actually helped me to understand how college business is carried out and how really important decisions are made. I, I learned about shared governance and this service position actually helped me to prioritize and plan my research and teaching activities in a way that aligns with administrative goals. Now, this is not a widespread way of thinking in terms of being a professor. Most people are not thinking about administrative goals when they're setting up their research programs, but my work ethic or the way I think about things is that I'd like for my research and my efforts to simultaneously serve multiple purposes. For example, I think that my research should have a significant impact both amongst technical peers, but it should also facilitate the engagement of underrepresented students and public stakeholders. I also think that my research should meet the spirit of my institution's vision for growth and success. And in this way, um, my work is symbiotic with um, the institution that supports those activities. So as titled, this particular episode is going to discuss what I think are the research taxes, the hidden research taxes that may be incurred by black or other underrepresented scholars within academia. This episode is meant to serve as a guide for early career scholars to help you discern what a reasonable ask is and whether it's a good use of your time. Because sometimes when you're habitually marginalized, um, when you do start getting requests for inclusion, you may be eager to say yes or just you know, excited to be included for the first time in a long time. But um, there are some things that you may need to avoid. And so as, an, as a disclaimer, this list is a reflection of my own personal experiences, as well as one or two things that I've heard as being um, ubiquitous among the collective of black researchers. So the first hidden research tax that I want to talk about is the request to pick your brain. Mm. So the term picking your brain is one that I am very uncomfortable with. And so when I hear this, what it sounds like to me is that essentially someone wants to extract your intellect, your ideas, and essentially your intellectual property, most times with no plans on formally acknowledging that you've contributed to whatever it is that they are picking your brain for. So as a black or underrepresented scholar, you should always be weary when someone wants to pick your brain. 
I always tell my mentees, the same information that someone wants to extract from you, you could find a creative or a productive way to disseminate that research yourself because it is obviously very valuable. And in that information being so valuable, I'm going to recommend or suggest some alternatives um, when you may be approached with the uh, request to pick your brain. So a potentially more mutually beneficial request instead of picking your brain is perhaps a paid part-time consulting opportunity where you're being paid to give your expertise. Or this could come in the form of an invitation to speak on a panel for a prestigious organization such as the National Academies Workshops. So in both of these cases, your contributions are being valued and they are rightfully being attributed to you. So just to sum up very quickly about picking one's brain, my recommendation is for early career scholars to always say no to these kinds of requests and instead ask whether or not a more formal collaboration is possible. So the next hidden research tax that I'm going to talk about is the phenomenon of being a hidden figure. I have had too many of these experiences, so I think it'll be beneficial to talk about what this means and how you can avoid it. So most listeners have probably already heard of the term hidden figure in relation to the critically acclaimed film that details the contributions of three black women at NASA during the space race of the mid 20th century. And to be honest, to this day, I cannot watch the movie. Um, it resonates very deeply um, with my experience as a very early career researcher, um, as a grad student and as a postdoc. And so um, I cannot get through the first three minutes of the movie without hitting some pain points. So humbly, by no means am I equating their experiences during the civil rights era with my experiences and contributions. Um, but I have certainly spent a lot of time facilitating the work of my peers. And then there is no quantifiable evidence that I had even spent time and had an impact on their projects. So for example, I have spent hours or I spent hours as a grad student training my peers on how to use various softwares um, for research. I've read through drafts and given feedback, and I've actually written code, <laughs> MATLAB codes, Python codes, that, are, that were used ubiquitously in my research group, or I've generated data that are used in many subsequent studies. And you would not be able to quantify that or see that in my academic record it just it's just hidden um, in the shadows of other people's work and unfortunately this type of thing continues to happen now not by my choice but just by virtue of people continuing to uh, ask me for things 
um, without proper acknowledgement and I have learned how to identify these things and um, and say no and so back in the day I saw my peers getting included in author lists for publications and presentations for contributing the same or the less amount of effort that I was and meanwhile I was told either directly to my face or indirectly to people that were trying to advocate for me that my contributions did not warrant being named on formal author lists. Yes, people outright said that I need to be taken off of whatever work that I actually spent my time working toward the finished product of. Now, don't get me wrong. In the early stages of my career, I was just truly happy to help other people, to be included, to um, be in service to others. And I really ignored the fact or I wasn't cognizant of the fact that my time was being spent facilitating other people's research, but my formal inclusion just wasn't being advocated for. So fast forward to my time as a postdoctoral scholar. I left my graduate research group um, under the impression that facilitating other people's work was a meaningful and significant contribution because that was the culture, whether or not that was the culture of my graduate research group, whether or not, you know, I was a benefit of that or not. And so when I brought this up as a postdoctoral scholar to um, someone that was in authority at that time, I was flat out told that that culture is not always the case. Um, and this actually took me by surprise because this person had actually benefited professionally from this type of culture, but they in turn were not implementing that in their own practices. So it was confusing to me how uh, it could be beneficial for this person, but they were not one to advocate this for the people that they were responsible for. So when I, I then began to upfront ask about, you know, whether or not what I was being asked to do outside of my main research responsibilities, whether that ask would lead to authorship. And in complete honesty, I was met with hostility. I was met with anger. I really didn't understand and I couldn't believe how angry someone would become for simply asking whether or not my time would, would my time spent on whatever it is would warrant authorship because I had learned as a grad student that um, I need to ask these questions because my time would be spent in ways that were not really beneficial for someone that is looking for a tenure track position. So as a caveat to my black and underrepresented listeners. It is okay to ask about whether or not formal modes of inclusion, meaning citations, authorship, whether or not those will be possible in, or given in return for your valuable time being spent on someone else's project. If you are met with hostility, then most likely the collaboration is not worth your time and you can politely say no. So fast forward to present day, I am now realizing that there were consequences 
or willingly giving my time uh, to others during the early stages of my career. On the positive side, I learned how to be a team player. I learned how to exhibit patience when giving instruction for really difficult tasks. And so training other people actually helped me to become a better communicator of complex ideas. I also learned um, very early on how to balance my time between pushing my own research forward while helping other people. And this is actually a key skill that's necessary for being successful as a professor because you're balancing your own uh, program as well as you know the responsibilities that, that come along with being a good collaborator. Now, the downside of what I went through is the fact that you may exhibit or you may experience uh, strong feelings of being overlooked and discounted for your contributions. And more importantly, your publication or your citation record may not be as robust as it could be if you put your head down and just do your own work and not really look around to see what's going on around you. Therefore, I am sharing my experiences on being transparent to help other underrepresented minority scholars to avoid more severe forms of exploitation. But keep in mind um, that when you help people that are deserving of your time and who are openly and willingly uh, able to form formally acknowledge your contributions, this is actually something that can be very beneficial for you and for your collaborator as well. And the last thing I'll talk about in this brief episode is citations. So there is a hidden tax of being black or underrepresented when it comes to getting your work cited um, or being recognized as foundational literature. And this is a historic a historical pain point for BIPOC scholars. In particular, this is such a widespread issue for black women um, that there are actually movements online online to counteract this. And so, for example, there's a really popular podcast called Cite Black Women, which actively encourages the engagement with the scholarship of black women. And this is not that podcast is not relegated to STEM, but it is it exists because um, most of us notice that our, our works are not being cited at the rate of our majority counterparts. So you may be met with the counterpoint that, well, your work's not relevant here, or I don't feel that I need to cite your work in this case. And therefore, um, I'm gonna give you a few points about when you should actually expect your work to be cited, okay? For one, if your study is a foundational study, meaning that the results that came out of your study sets the foundation for successive works, works that come after you that are building off of the new knowledge that you are contributing to the field, okay? Especially if those successive works are being authored by people in your immediate circle of collaborators, in that case, 
those successive papers should cite your work because they wouldn't exist. They wouldn't be able to to move forward without the knowledge that you've contributed. So in my case, this has actually happened to me where a follow up study completely omitted mention of my foundational study despite the fact that my paper facilitated very important and key knowledge acquisition for the succeeding story that wouldn't have been possible without the work that I contributed. In a second case where you should expect your work to be cited is when you know for a fact that you are the only or one of the leading voices or one of the few scholars that exists in your research area. Okay, when there is a work that is being introduced into the literature that is in your small area and you've made significant contributions to the foundational knowledge, you should be cited. So once again, if you're working on a really highly specialized topic and you know that your field is small, um, the standard for most researchers is to do the courteous and ethical thing and mention your work in their introduction section where they're listing all of the relevant previous work or in the discussion section where they're comparing their new results to yours. And so if you know that you've made significant foundational contributions, your work should be cited. In another case, um, Sometimes your work may be omitted or citations of your work may be omitted um, if you are black or an underrepresented scholar. Sometimes this is truly not deliberate, okay? This is just not deliberate. Um, it's easy for more established researchers to just be unfamiliar with new and up and coming researchers in the field. However, if people know you and if you're, even people in your immediate research circle refuse to acknowledge your contributions, I say this isn't a, a, an omission by mistake, yet this is potentially the manifestation of hidden biases. Um, and over the years I've heard that some of these biases are the fact that majority researchers think that including black scholarship in amongst their literature is an act that waters down their research. So the inclusion of black scholars dilutes the potency of their contributions. So what should you do if you find yourself in these situations where you know that your work has made a difference it is yet it is not being recognized there are a few things that i think you can do in in this case well first and foremost my recommendation is for black and underrepresented scholars to work really hard to not do the same things or perpetrate the same the same uh marginalizing behavior. So we need to work hard to be inclusive of the significant works of others like us, okay? Particularly if it's the case where um, there's only a few of us in our field. 
Now, if it's the case that you are the only person in your field, you actually may need to take uh, actions to advocate for yourself if no one else is doing so. For example, if you find that you are being asked to be co-author on a manuscript draft or a manuscript and you think and you strongly believe that your foundational work should be cited, you can politely suggest that. You can suggest that the work be mentioned in the introduction. Or let's say you are reviewing a paper, okay, where you've been specifically asked to review the paper because you are an expert in that area. If you don't see your work mentioned or, or, or reflected in, in the foundational literature, you can politely suggest amongst other papers that the reviewers consider the relevant literature in this space and include it in their next round of revisions. Now, I don't recommend you do that for every paper, but when you know you've made significant contributions in that space, you can politely recommend that they acknowledge your work or consider the conclusions that you have drawn um, within that literature. Also, um, when it comes to being asked to be a co-author, um, on a paper where you don't think that your work has or you don't think that your contributions will be adequately acknowledged, you can politely say no. Okay, I don't have time to contribute to works or work on things that are not progressing my research outputs at the moment, particularly for people that are going on the job market. And to wrap up this episode, once again, I want to reiterate the three main ways that black or underrepresented scholars uh, may experience research taxes, ones that are hidden and may not be as obvious as service taxes. Um, and that is being asked to sit down and let someone pick your brain being a hidden figure where you're behind the scenes facilitating other people's research but it does not reflect in your research record and not being cited appropriately so i refer to these as taxes because they are valuable uses of your time you know they your time is valuable and many times these research taxes offer no tangible uh, and significant outputs and there's no evidence that you even spent your time there and you might as well have been invisible and in 2021 unfortunately hiring committees don't have metrics for evaluating hidden contributions okay nobody is talking about how much time you spent helping your colleagues write their papers and in this day and age, BIPOC scholars are desperately needed in academia. And therefore, in order to have competitive records to show that without a shadow of a doubt that you are the expert in your field, you're productive, and that you will be an incredible member of someone's faculty, your record and your resume has to reflect that. And... Um, in most cases, it needs to be exceptional.
Now, I'm going to talk about a few research activities that I personally think are good to say yes to. Ones that are quantifiable, ones that are tangible, and those are paid speaking engagements where you are given an honorarium or a set set amount of money to speak um, and give your expertise to a crowd of people. The second is being a sub-awardee on existing grants. And what that means is that um, a collaborator has approached you about contributing to their research and um, they are willing to pay you um, through a sub-award um, from their existing grant uh, to do the research, which will cover your student's time, your effort, and this is something that you can list on your resume or your CV. Co-authored paper invitations, okay? If you think that you're being asked to contribute to uh, the works of people that value your contributions, that truly think that you being a co-author on their paper will enhance that paper and it is not uh, something that they are asking you begrudgingly, then I recommend um, saying yes to uh, high-impact co-authored paper invitations. Last but not least, you can say yes to um, uh, paid research review opportunities. And so most of the times when we are reviewing grants uh, for other people, there is a stipend that goes along with that. Um, I think this is a fine research slash service activity. Um, but make sure that your time is being compensated. So on the other hand, I also want to stress that it's okay to, to pay it forward for activities, research activities that resonate with your core values. For instance, I always think that it's a great use of my time to help younger uh, BIPOC scholars. Um, if they need something, if they need help uh, developing a research plan, I try to be there for them because um, there's often a dearth of mentorship amongst BIPOC scholars. So once again, if you decide to devote unaccounted for or uncompensated, unrecognized time to facilitate other people's research and you just want to do it out the kindness of your heart, you have to make sure that you are putting equal or even more effort into progressing your own research. So you can be a helpful teammate, but make sure to uh, get your own work done. Further, if you discern that you are being regarded or treated in a way that is not standard for research practices, like You've been, you've been trained that, hey, so when you're asked to contribute to research, you're, you're added as a co-author on the paper. But if you discern that that's not happening to you, a good litmus test for whether or not um, this is wrong, ask yourself, is this happening to my majority peer? And would this ever happen to my majority peer? If this would never happen to them, then it most definitely should not be happening to you. So at the end of the day, um, I want to leave you with this, this message and take this to heart. Your talent, your real talent, your expertise, it cannot be hidden and overlooked 
and suppressed for too long. When you are making good contributions to your field, someday along the way, it will be recognized in some form or another. So if you feel like you want to give up, you want to quit because you're being used, you're being exploited, um, keep, I would say in a way that you should keep going if it's not harming your mental health. Um, because what you do is valuable, um, but it's also our responsibility to stand up for ourselves and make sure that we are being treated accordingly. And with that, keep the faith, press on, and I look forward to talking to you guys in the next episode. You just listened to episode 7 of Under the Hood with Dr. Sunshine. All views expressed on this channel are my own and do not reflect that of my academic institution. Be sure to like this video or podcast and subscribe. Stay tuned for more exciting content to come.